When I was in healthcare, in order to get promoted to be a director, I went through a day and a half of psychological testing. And in that testing, they kept asking me, what's my North Star? And I was like, I just want to service others. And they're like, no, no, no. Some people say money. You want to be an executive. What's your real answer? And I'm like, that is my real answer. Like the means is to be able to serve others. Have you ever wondered, how do you grow a socially conscious an environmentally friendly e-commerce brand online while also making a profit. Yeah, me too. After watching my family members suffer through cancer and heart disease using products by companies that care more about profits than their customers, there must be a better way, right? That's when I discovered an emerging wave of successful, purpose-driven businesses and I knew I needed to be a part of it. So join me as we dive into the stories behind the most inspiring brands in the world and discover the secrets on how they successfully win over the vote of their customers' wallets and grow their business online. My name is Vincent Tandiono and welcome to the E-Commerce Speak Podcast. Welcome back. I'm super excited because I have Karen Blackwell here with me today. She's a healthcare leader turned CPG CEO. She once appeared on Oprah and she told Oprah that she was going to do uh, big things. And she's doing exactly that with Kanda Chocolates. So I love how Kanda Chocolates balance between profits and also taking care of the welfare of the society and the environment. The chocolates are sourced and manufactured from Ghana, which makes a significant impact to the community there, like providing jobs for the people in Ghana and also helping the economy. And Kenda also donate 10% of sales towards a charitable cost. So I'm so looking forward to this. Welcome to the show, Karen. Thank you so much, Vincent. I'm looking forward to it as well. I love any opportunity to talk about Kanda chocolates and really the good that we're trying to do. Yeah, that's amazing. So I'm really curious. Can you take me back a little bit on your story on how you came across to like transitioning from my healthcare to starting like a a chocolate company? Yes. So definitely didn't have any plans of starting a chocolate company. And I was working in healthcare for a mission driven organization. And that's important to say because I wouldn't have left because I thought what we were doing was amazing. Right. When you're working for a mission driven company. Uh, I took a trip to Ghana and I literally tasted the chocolate and I was like, wow, this, this is what chocolate should taste like. It tasted pure. It tasted chocolatey mostly. And I'm a big dark chocolate. Like I love dark chocolate and it didn't have that bittery taste. And so I was like, wow, this is something different. Um, And I really thought about it while I was there, but it really wasn't until I got to the Slave Coast Castle that really transformed my whole experience in Ghana. And really just to say, if you've never been to Slave Coast Castle, you should look it up. I think Obama has, uh, you know, a video where he's actually visited the Slave Coast Castle, but it's essentially the last place where they had slaves before they actually left for the United States. And there's a, a door there called the door of no return. And that whole experience really had me thinking like, what more, could I do to connect with Ghana, right? So it'd be one thing to be like, oh, let me take some of your products and sell them and let me make money, but how do I help Ghana? And so that's really what began the journey of looking into Kanda Chocolates and why we created the type of company that we have today is because it really was based on one, a mission, but two, doing more than just saying that I have a product from Ghana. I'm curious, is there any uh, reasoning for behind the name? Is there any story behind it? 
There is. So it goes back to my parent company. Um, so I created a parent company without products and then I, and then Canada Chocolates was born, but the parent company is Sage and Alms. Sage is for the wisdom and alms means to give to the poor in every religion, every, you know, ethnic race. Um, so when you look up alms, uh, where does that come from? Alms comes from my mother. So my mother's middle name is Alma. Her mother's name is Alma and all the women, but my mom hated her middle name as a kid. And so she never liked it. So she never gave it to me. And I'm like, wait a minute, I'm the only woman that doesn't have Alma in my name. Um, and so the company Sage and Alms was born and then Kanda Chocolates, people asked me how to pronounce it. Um, and it's Kanda because it's K-A-N-A and the K stands for Karen and Alma. So it's me and my mother. I'm taking back her middle name, taking back all the women's names in you know, my lineage back to Alma and bringing that back into my company. So it shows up in Kanda, um, which a lot of people like to say Kanda, and I'm totally okay if you do, um, but it's Kanda. And then it also shows up in Sage and Alms because it has a lot to do with me wanting to give back to others. So there was meaning behind everything. Yeah, I love that meaning. And what, what was your company doing back then the, with Sage and Alms? So with Sage and Alms, the, we actually just launched some t-shirts and we just said we want to, you know, be focused on the, you know, social and environmentally conscious, right? And so we didn't have a product. Um, when we discovered Canda Chocolates and when we started to create that, that was such a long process. And we knew once you make the decision to start a food business, you got to go through the FDA labeling, you got to wait, you got to, I don't know, I had to do testing of the chocolate to see what ingredient, you know, all these other things. So while I waited that whole year, um, I had another product that I used to use so that I got out of Asia and I was really excited about it. And so I launched Dewburst, which is a dry to wet wipe. Um, and it's really, really helpful when you travel. Um, it actually became really popular during the pandemic because it's a wipe, as you can imagine. Um, but generally speaking, you know, when you travel abroad, you may stay in a hotel and they may have one washcloth <laughs> and you may want more than one. And so Dewburst really comes in handy with, you know, wiping your hands, using extra white cloths, things like that. Um, so I launched it in a, in a biodegradable tube so I could help with the environment. But it really was something just to say, let me get something started while I was waiting for Canada Chocolates to launch. What do you like most about what you do today? Because it's much very different from what, what you were doing back when you were in healthcare, right? Yes. So when I was in healthcare, I, uh, in order to get promoted to be a director, I went through a day and a half of psychological testing. And in that testing, they kept asking me, what's my North Star? And I was like, I just want to service others. And they're like, no, no, no. Some people say money. You want to be an executive. What's your real answer? And I'm like, that is my real answer. Like the means is to be able to serve others. And so when you ask me what brings me the most joy, no, no, no lie here. It is actually the ability to be able to serve others, have an impact. So it's not something that I started today. This goes all the way back to my high school days, all the way up to what I did in college and what I did even in corporate America, right? So if I can serve others, that's actually bringing me joy. Sounds a little hokey, um, but it's, it's, you know, the drive to have the greater impact. When you're an entrepreneur and everybody that you're talking to on this podcast, I mean, clearly in our very first stages, we are not having an impact. I don't, you know, it's, we're, you know, these are like the pennies that I'm raising to give to others. Um, but eventually, when the, as the company grows, that's when you can have an impact. So watching it grow and knowing that 
okay, this impacts so-and-so, or I could do this with so-and-so. That's the amazing part. That's the part that brings me joy. And that's amazing because I was also speaking to another person who was doing some sort of like uh, personality profiles. And she was also saying that not everybody is motivated by money. There are, there yes. are many different okay, motivators. Who is that? I need to know. That's amazing. <laughs> yes, that is so true. Yeah. I'm so not. Sounds horrible. Yeah. Please, investors, don't listen. I, I do want money, but it's the money that I want to be able to help others. Yes, he was actually also on this podcast. Her name is Carol Dysart. I, I, will, I will link you up with her after. Yeah. So talk to me about the, the impact. Like, I know that you're huge with uh, social responsibility and also sustainability with the environment. So how does that affect like how you run your business? So it comes in a couple of ways, right? So it's interesting because you know, before creating a benefit corporation, I just had in my mind that, okay, like here's some companies that exist. There's a Ben and Jerry's that focuses on social good. There's the Tom's Shoes, you know, so we have all these models and I was like, all right, so these things can work. I'm going to create something where I can do with the money. Like I want to funnel the money into organizations that are doing the work. I was clear about that. Like I didn't want to start another charity because there's people that are already doing that work. So I, did, I just wanted to fund the money to the people that are doing the best work possible. Um, and so I created this business and then I learned that I could actually create a benefit corporation. So you're asking me, how does that show up in my company? That's where you like make a contract, right? With the state and you tell your constituents that I am going to be held accountable to these things. So now going through that benefit corp process, looking at B certification, which, you know, that's all pending. But when you go through that process to get it, it asks you all these questions that you may or may not have even thought of, right? And so it has you looking at policies, like, are you ensuring that you're ordering, you know, from either a diverse company, but what about companies that recycle? What about products that recycle? What are your policies? So all those things we had to go through and kind of with a fine tooth comb, where's the money coming from? Who are you paying? all these things so that it's more of a, a fine lens on what you're doing that makes you go inside yourself. And in this case, your company and saying, what can I do better? And so the whole point is you have these points, then how can I get better next year? How can I get better the year after that? So it's actually a marker to like compete with yourself to be better. When I was looking at your website, I noticed that you were saying that, uh, you noticed the problem with Ghana is that they are exporting a lot, but they're not, doing the uh, manufacturing there. And so where can the chocolates come in is that you're bringing uh, the processing there and the packaging there and then before delivering them to the US. So can you talk to me a little bit about how does that process look like? Yeah, so you know, in Ghana, the cocoa beans are made fair trade, right? So we actually, the, the, the cocoa beans are produced, we buy them fair trade, so we're paying still only pennies, it's not enough, but some amount of money that's more than what they would have been paid to the cocoa farmers. We take that cocoa, it goes to the manufacturing facility, and then it's created into the chocolate bar. And it is actually, so it's grown there, and then it's packaged there, and then it's shipped to the United States. The biggest part about this is, so Ghana is the second largest exporter of cocoa in the entire world. And then yet they only export less than 1% finished chocolate, like small numbers. And so the money that they would make would really come from finished chocolate. And if you're keeping, like, if you're paying attention in the news, two things have actually bubbled up. One is, you know, West Africa has gone to, you know, the late, large 
large chocolate companies, we'll just leave their names out of it. And they've said, listen, we want a bigger piece of the pie. You need to pay us more for this, for this cocoa. We want to have a share. So that's happened. And finally, that dispute was reached, you know, settled. And then you also had the president of Ghana sitting with the, you know, the leader of Switzerland saying, we're cutting you off entirely. We're no longer giving you cocoa, which is if you, if you're paying attention, Belgium and Switzerland are the top two, you know, cocoa, you know, they, they're the ones that are actually buying most of it in the entire world. So when you're cutting off Switzerland, it is huge. But can they get other cocoa? Yes, from South America, wherever. But essentially what Ghana said was, if you're not going to pay us, you know, a piece of the pie, which you're getting billions and billions of dollars from this industry, then we don't want to do business with you. So when you go back and you look at Canada chocolates and what our model is, we're saying, we don't want to take a piece of the pie without giving you a piece of the pie. We want to give you more of the piece of the pie. We want to help Ghana come out of the debt that they acquired after colonialism, right? So how do you help to do that? Well, that's through finished chocolate. That's by helping with jobs. You know, there's a lot of companies and again, I, I actually look up to these companies, but we, we do charity in these different countries and we send shoes, water, whatever, but how do you take a whole economy and change it? And I think that finished chocolate and giving them a bigger piece of the pie is one of those ways. Yeah, so being that it's chocolate and you know, chocolates can melt. So is it, I, I'm sure it's challenging, right? To ship it from, uh, from, from Ghana. So how do you overcome those uh, challenges? Uh, with speed, no. <laughs> um, so there's different seasons that are easier to ship the chocolate for sure. Um, this most recent inventory that we just got in, um, they were like, oh gosh, we gotta hurry up and get it. But it doesn't melt until it hits 93 degrees. Our bar really holds up pretty well. Um, and so, you know, we just make sure that we keep it in the shaded. It stays in a cold place when it gets here. And then it goes right straight from a, you know, refrigerated truck to the refrigerated warehouse in LA. So it doesn't spend too much time in the elements. Um, it is hot in Ghana. So yeah, with speed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, so how many types of chocolates do you make right now? So currently we focused for our first year on three flavors and we focused on the percentages because we really wanted to give people the experience with dark chocolate. So we have the milk chocolate at 38%, the dark at 56, and then the extra dark is what we call it at 72%. And so we really wanted to give people the opportunity because when you get dark chocolate, most of the time when you go to the store, it's 60% and above. But our 56% is what I call a converter because when people try it, they, I'm getting people that say, I don't like dark chocolate. And then they try my dark chocolate and they like it because it's, it's that entry. It's that place that says, you don't have to have milk in it for it to be creamy and you know, cocoa-y and all those other things. Try this dark chocolate. Um, but for my milk chocolate lovers, I still have something covered for them as well. So those three flavors were something, honestly, Vincent, like we, we launched those three flavors, left out all other ingredients, because if people didn't enjoy the chocolate as is, what's the point of adding something to it? I needed to know that this was a legit business and that people enjoyed the chocolate. This is the e-commerce speak podcast, and we'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by DMAF. Many e-commerce brands are worried about the cost of advertising going through the roof and the rise of competition in their space. We have a simple framework for a campaign that generates immediate cash flow and revenue. If you're interested in looking at that framework and picking up revenue and sales over the next 30 days, we'd love to share that framework with you. You can go to dmaf.net 
That is D-I-N-A-V dot net. Go there to learn more. Thanks for listening and supporting the show. And now for the conclusion of this episode. Uh, so what are some of your goals? Uh, let's say in the next 12 to 24 months, is there any like new chocolates that you're planning or talk to me about it? Yes. So you want the secrets. This is, this is yeah. really good. Okay. So, uh, well, the first one that's not a secret is to get into larger retail stores. And so we just were picked with Kehi's, uh, which is a distributor. We just got picked for their trend finder. So now we're the top 12, you know, out of hundreds that applied that they're going to recognize and help push on into retail stores. So that's huge for us. We're also in the UNFI, so that as well. So we want to get into the retail store. So that's more of a volume play for all of you entrepreneurs that are listening. We're looking at volume. Um, that's something that we're definitely interested in doing in stores that are focused on natural products, right? So there, we don't want to just be everywhere, um, but either natural products, joy, align with our mission. So there's different reasons. We still want our chocolate to be accessible, but it is a premium chocolate, right? So there's that piece. And then in addition, we're launching a few new flavors. I'll leave one of them to be a surprise, but we did do a survey, um, which was the most confusing results I've ever seen out of any survey I've ever done coming out of corporate America. Um, and I was like, what, what, you know, what's your favorite flavors? What would you like to see in it? And then tell me your dream chocolate. Oh my gosh, why did I ask that question? The answers were insane. People love everything in their chocolate. They wanted to throw the kitchen sink into the chocolate. Um, and so from that survey, we definitely found out that nuts and sea and salt are important. And so there will be coming soon a sea salt and a nut version inside of our dark chocolate. So I'm excited to share that. So for whoever's listening, you're getting the scoop right away. Um, so yeah, maybe, maybe when it launches, I'll launch something that says, if you were listening, <laughs> then say this and uh, I'll give you a discount. But yes, that's, we're excited to launch that and our customers as well. As well as my mom, who complains that she only eats chocolate with nuts in it. But anyway, yes. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned you are going into uh, retail stores. So can you walk me through some of like what are the challenges that you for, uh, foresee and how you plan to overcome them? Because I ask this because uh, some of our listeners they may be in a similar situation, and I think your uh, answer and your approach might help them. Yeah, absolutely. So the biggest question that I had going into the distributor, this is what we're all going to face, which you guys have all faced was, okay, what is the magic distributor number? And what I've found out, Vincent, long story short, and I've talked to some confidants, but I've talked to first a bunch of people and they all had a different number. And I was like, why is, why is it that the number is different? How can this be? Well, it makes sense when you say that the distributor charges different prices to different people. So there's actually an average distributor margin as opposed to one number. And so you want to get best to, depending on who you're selling your products to and what kind of margin you think those stores want from your distributors, a lot of backing in, then you want to get that perfect sweet spot distributor price. So that was a challenge um, right off the start was to try to figure out and I'm still trying to figure out, right? So I don't know that I have a perfect, nor will anyone until you launch off into your business and look back on numbers two, three years down the line, right? You have to look back and say, was that the right decision? <laughs> Otherwise, um, you, do, you do your best with the math. And then I will say that the second piece is being uh, retail ready. We talk about that a lot. So, right, getting onto the shelf, 
great, wonderful, right? So I could launch into the largest retail store today, but what's my plan to get the chocolate bar off the shelf? So that is challenge number two. And challenge number three, I would say, would be managing the inventory expectations for your first year, not knowing. So like how much inventory do you keep in stock? Do you make, do you ship to the distributor to ship to the store, hoping that it sells so that you don't have expired product that's sitting there that gets DC'd at the end and actually charge back to you because you pay for that. (laughs) So all of those things, I would say those are like my top three challenges that I expect plus more um, going into the distributor. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Let's say that if we have like a time machine and then we can turn back the time. So what advice would you give to your younger self uh, who's maybe like starting on a journey of starting a business or growing the business? I have two points. Uh, One is that this is a lattice journey, not a ladder journey. In corporate America, we say climbing the corporate ladder Um, what I've realized is that there isn't just one ladder for you to climb when you're going, when you're becoming a retail business, a CPG business. And so what, if I am Karen as Canda Chocolates and I look to the next business and I say, I want to be like them or the next business, wrong way to look at it. Because when you've seen one CPG business, you've only seen one. I have found through all my conversations that all the CPG businesses are different. They have different paths. They have different margins. Everything is different. I don't care if they're both the same product. There's probably something very different internally to how they're run, what their margins look like. So I always say one business is one business. And going back to my analogy of a ladder versus a a lattice is that when you look at trying to climb a ladder, then you're comparing yourself to this retail company. You're like, I got to get into this distributor to get into this store, to get there this way. I got to spend this amount in social marketing. I got to do this over here just to be like this company to get to the end of the ladder. When really, if you look at it like a lattice, so imagine a lattice is like, you know, five ladders stacked up. I could go up one wrong. I could go over to the left, right? So if you take myself, for example, Vincent, I'm not, not saying this is the best way to do it, but I didn't invest in any social media marketing. I didn't invest in any marketing this year. Only marketing I'm doing is, well, if it's free, if it's a podcast, if it's blogging, if there's, I was bootstrapping it to the end of ends, right, Vincent? So that being said, somebody would look at my model and be like, oh, she's crazy. Why would you do that? Well, I got here, right? And so you don't, you don't know, and, and that may not work for the next person. But what I will say is that the most important thing is moving forward. So like, as long as I'm moving forward or learning from a quick mistake, because there are mistakes. So as long as we learn fast, then that's all you need to do is keep moving forward at your pace, using, using your gut, your intuition, and don't, don't be bothered by the noise and all that's around you. Talk to people for insight, but don't be worried about the comparison. So that's my number one advice. And uh, the number two advice, which is a much quicker story, which is really just to say, you don't need as much money to get started as maybe you think you do. And that there's ways, there's freelancers, there's all these different things where you can get people from contract work to do things for you for, you know, a budgeted way to get started. And, you know, I was, I was looking at Partake Cookies and you look at their Instagram page they actually had a different cookie box a year ago, right? 
And so not that you want to change your branding, but the point is to just get going. If you have a great tasting product, just get going. Don't stand in your own way. Don't try to spend a million dollars just to get the perfect labeling. Uh, you do want to have the FDA labeling, but I'm talking about the design, things like that. Those things can come. You can actually make money and get there. So those are my two things. Yeah, excellent advice. Like, don't get it like perfect, but just get it going and get yes. and hear, listen to what the, the customer's feedback, right? I think that's, yes. that's really the key. Like, I also really believe like the, the customers, they are like the, the genius when it comes to marketing. They will tell you like yeah. what they like, what they don't like, and then you just yes. adjust along the way. <laughs> Yeah, so this has been uh, awesome, Karen. So uh, if people want to check out Kenda chocolates, maybe they want to buy, try some of your dark chocolates or any chocolates, uh, how do they do that? First, uh, I would love it if you guys would drop in and visit me at www.kendachocolates.com. And you can sign up for our newsletter there. I promise not to bother you, spam you. It's only for updates on products and things like that. Um, visit us on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, most active on Instagram. So at Canda Chocolates. And, or you can just simply send us an email. So at hello at candachocolates.com. Yeah, awesome. So as we're going to wrap this up, uh, any final thoughts or any final takeaways or anything that you'd like to share that maybe I didn't ask? Just that if you love chocolate, and, I, and I've written something about this, so if you see one of my blogs, you'll find it there. But if you love chocolate and you want it to be around and you've heard me talking about how, you know, people are cutting people off from getting their cocoa beans and things like that. So if you love chocolate, then you'll want to love on the people that make it. And it's okay if we haven't heard about fair trade before or didn't understand the benefits. But one of the benefits, if you just want to be self-serving, is that it brings chocolate to you and continues to bring it to you. So you do want to start looking at how ways that you can buy fair trade chocolate. Canda is one of them, but there are many others. And so when you see products that have fair trade on them, then you might want to take a second look. And I'm just encouraging you to want to be a part of the system that's paying people what their worth is for the products that they're bringing us. Yeah, I love it. So thank you so much, Karen, for being on the show. It was a pleasure. Thank you. My pleasure as well. Thank you so much, Vincent and listeners. Did you enjoy today's conversation? If you did, help us grow by going to iTunes, hit follow and leave a five-star review with your biggest takeaway.